Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Not The Farmer's Wife. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we are talking all things finance for the month of July. So this week's episode is about frugal living. But before I get into that, I just want to touch on the fact that um, I have got something new in the works and I can't wait to show it to you all. Um, I am looking at doing a three-part seminar, webinar, not sure how you actually word it, on what it takes to move into homesteading. Um, so it's a three-part challenge, basically, of how you could start your homesteading dream, even if you're still living in suburbia you could still do this challenge. Uh, so I'm in the middle of getting that all sorted and I'm quite excited about it and I hope you will be too when you see it. But it's going to be, there is going to be a little cost attached to it because, you know, it takes me time to do these things, but it'll be a very minor cost attached uh, because I really just want to get people to the point where they realise they can homestead even from an urban environment. Um, so I'm very excited about it. Keep your eyes peeled it won't be long and you'll be seeing something on my pages on my socials uh, so if you haven't already go and like Mojo Homestead or Not The Farmer's Wife either page uh, because I post most things on both pages anyway so you'll see it on one of those pages um, so this week frugal living it's something that I am very passionate about and I probably have to rein myself back a little bit uh, the really important thing that I want to say before we start talking about it is frugal doesn't mean cheap. Uh, there is a huge difference between being frugal and being cheap. Frugal to me means being economical with regard to money, food, belongings, things that you that you have around you. And that's not being cheap. There's, and I'll discuss it further down the track here, but there's a lot of things that I am definitely not cheap about, uh, but I, I do consider myself to be very frugal. Um, I've been lucky enough to be, uh, to take part in um, Denise Duffield Thomas's Money Boot Camp. If you haven't heard of that, I'll put a little show note link in there. Um, her boot camp is awesome and it really opens your eyes up to how you view money. And I have got, a lot of money hang-ups, let's just put it that way, but I'm also under her system what's called an accumulator and that means that I can be a bit of a tight ass <laughs> with money, which is, is spot on. When I did her quiz and came back with that, I was like, yeah, I am definitely a tight ass. I have no problems in that. Um, but I'll spend money when I think it's due. Um, certainly travel is something that I've spent considerable amounts of money on because to me that's something that's very valuable and and worth spending the money on anyway let's talk about homesteading lifestyle and integrating frugal practices into that 
And I think it's really important to understand that when I say homesteading, I mean farming, homesteading, same thing. In Australia, we tend to refer to it as farming. In America, it tends to be referred to as homesteading. If you're in the UK, and I know I've got a few UK and European listeners, hit me up on the socials and let me know what um, you call it there. Is it called homesteading there? Is it, is there another name for it? Um, if there's a local language name for it, hit me up and tell me. I love learning those kinds of things. Um, so self-sufficiency is what we're talking about when we talk about farming or homesteading in that sense. And that means surviving without assistance from the outside world, from being able to manage all things for yourself. So food, clothing, repairs and maintenance, looking after your livestock, being self-sufficient in that you don't have to bring things into the farm from somewhere else. Um, and so for me, as somebody who, who loves living frugally, um, then the biggest aim for me is to own the farm myself um, and not have a bank mortgage, which I still currently have a bank mortgage. And so living frugally gives me the ability to put more money into my mortgage, which means that I can pay it off quicker. So it's a no-brainer. As far as I'm concerned, living frugally must happen because I must pay off the farm sooner. That's, that's my big goal in life. Um, another way that uh, you can incorporate frugal living into your homestead is you know, obviously learning how to do those things yourself so that you don't have to bring things in. So repairing, learning to repair clothing, learning to repair equipment, learning to repair buildings and, and little things around your house rather than having to bring somebody in. And that's, that's an obvious but being able to live minimally um, is uh, minimalistic, I can never say it, but living that way and growing your own food, repairing rather than buying new, um, those kinds of things are things that I think most homesteaders automatically are drawn towards. Um, so that doesn't mean that you don't buy good quality things. It doesn't mean that you buy crap. It means that if you're going to... Um, purchase something you think about it before you purchase it so for me an example I'll give you is uh, I have a real bugbear at the moment regarding socks it's the middle of winter here in Australia and um, I tend to walk around the house we I try and get the kids to take their shoes off coming into the house because otherwise I'm sweeping all the time so I tend to walk around the house with socks on because it's a bit fresh we don't always have the fire on at the moment um, if if nobody's home we tend to let the fire go out um, because there doesn't seem any reason to heat the house for no reason when nobody's here but socks I have got cheap nasty socks and I went and bought decent socks the other day because I am sick of having to repair socks or have holy socks or socks that fall down and I think the handy helper refers to them as, as uh, socks that get eaten by your shoes which is exactly it drives me nuts so I went out and I splurged and I spent more on socks than what I would normally spend on them uh, but they are amazing socks. They're super tight around my ankles. They stay up. Uh, they feel really thick on the base of them. I don't think they're going to wear out super quick. So even though I tend to live frugally, when I do spend money on something, I will tend to buy the better quality in the hopes that it will last longer. Um, the next thing I want to touch on is budgeting and financial planning. So as part of frugal living, it, it is really important that you have a budget that aligns with your goals and values for your homestead. And if you're the kind of person who absolutely has to have something 
at a certain quality or a certain level, then that's part of your goals and values. And you shouldn't have to reduce or change that in order to to live a frugal life. What you may have to do is you may have to balance what is really important in your values, what's super important to you, and what is less important. So if, say for example, having healthy uh, nutritious food is vital for you, if that's a a non-negotiable, well, you have to make sure that you incorporate that into your spending, into your budget. If, say for example, for us here in Australia, and it's a bit different in other countries, but we pay for our own private insurance, it's not included as part of our work packages, we have to pay straight up. So I have private insurance because both of my children have previously been asthmatic and had some other health issues, um, which they're they're now looking pretty good from, which I've put down to the healthy, nutritious food, but I still keep the medical insurance because I think it is important for us to have medical insurance, especially when we live, ambulance cover would be a non-negotiable for us. We are too far out of town to, if I had to pay for an ambulance to come out here for an emergency, it would, I would be broke. It would cost me an arm and leg, it'd be over a thousand dollars. So having ambulance cover is an absolute, even if I dropped the other ones. So once uh, OJ's teeth are dealt with, because he's looking at braces, once he's dealt with, then I probably will cut it back so that I just have ambulance cover. And, and that's about weighing up what's important as far as your values. If your values say, I absolutely have to have top range medical cover, well, then you need to cut back somewhere else in order to have that. For me, I... Um, cut back on a lot of areas. I do not get my hair dyed anymore. Uh, I've never been somebody that went and had my nails done. That was just not part of my makeup. But my hair, I've been grey since I was 21. I have been dyeing my hair for 20 odd years and I gave up on it. I just literally went, is this a, a value that is important to me enough to cut back somewhere else in order to pay for hairdressing appointments and the answer was a firm no I really don't give a shit what my hair looks like Um, I think that shows sometimes in my videos if you follow me on social media but um, I don't care enough about having not gray hair in order to cut back somewhere else to pay for those hairdressing appointments but that's a goal and a value thing that you need to work out what is going to work best for you and what works best for me will be very different for everybody else. So, you know, if, if you don't want to uh, have old clothes or secondhand clothes and you want to wear new, well, you might have to cut back somewhere else. For me, I love going into St. Vincent de Paul, which is our local secondhand charity store. Um, uh, you know, there's some of these secondhand charity stores, the clothes you go in there and the labels, the tags are still on them. They've never been worn. So it, if you're the kind of person who likes having new clothes or likes having, you know, a lot of clothes, um, go have a look at the secondhand charity stores. Believe me, you'd be really surprised what you can get. Same with buying off Marketplace. Um, we had a wedding that we had to go to and I went through and had a look at Marketplace to try and find a really nice dress. And I literally went into City Chick, which is our local fat girl store. And sorry for anybody that gets offended by that, but I am a little chubby. So I go to that store. I went in, worked out what size I was, then I went through Marketplace and because I already knew what size I was, what what clothing size fit me for that brand, I literally went through and searched City Chick secondhand and I bought a dress secondhand that was a City Chick that fit me perfectly because I already knew the size 
and and came out of it probably about a hundred it was just over a hundred dollars cheaper than what I would have got if I'd bought it new so things like that you just have to be a little bit inventive sometimes to get uh, nice things and still not have spent the earth to get there um, I think the most important thing that you can do when it comes to setting up your goals and your values for budgeting for your homestead and what you can cut back on and what you won't cut back on is to write it down. I say it all the time, people don't know their numbers. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know what you're actually spending, then how do you know where to cut back? How do you know what to trim and what you, you've still got left, money left in the kitty? Um Having it written down means that you know, and, and I think everybody should write down what they plan to spend on something versus adding up at the end of the month what they've actually spent on it. When I did that, I do it a couple of times a year where I sit down and really go through the nitty gritty. When I do it, I'm always surprised at how much I spend on takeaway. I honestly don't know how people live on takeaway all the time because <laughs> when we eat out and we're only technically a family of four, our handy helper has two kids that are out here occasionally with us, um, but technically we're only a family of four most of the time and eating out is really expensive. I don't know how the fuck people do it. Anyway. The other thing that I do, which if you haven't already done, check with your bank, check with whoever your mortgage is with, is check about mortgage offset accounts. So I have a mortgage offset account that what I do is when my paycheck comes in, because I still work a, an off-farm job, when my paycheck comes in each week, I transfer the bulk amount of that money over to my mortgage offset account. I then filter back into my spendings account, which is what I call it because it's not a savings account, it is a spendings account. I transfer the money back into my spendings account that I know I'm going to spend. So if I'm going to the grocery store and I think it's going to be a $200 shop, I might transfer $300 over into that spendings account. But I leave the bulk of it sitting in the mortgage offset account. Now, the reason I do that is for every day that there is money sitting in that mortgage offset account, it is coming directly off the interest for my mortgage. You may not think it adds up to a lot, but believe me, over the space of a year, if you have an average of between you know, $800 and $1,000 sitting in that account all the time, it reduces your interest by massive amounts. It's definitely worth looking at doing. Um, if you have a savings account that you actually put money into, which I do, I have an offset account that I, I use for that as well, then make sure that that is mortgage offset as well, because that will then reduce your interest at the end of each month. So, you know, the banks don't tell you about it, but definitely inquire. Um, I'm with Commonwealth Bank here in Australia, and I can have about five or six mortgage offset accounts. So I can have different savings accounts where I'm putting kids' expenses, car expenses, farm expenses into separate accounts that I can then draw down from when I actually need it into a spending account to, to actually pay it by card and use it. But while I'm not using it, it's reducing my mortgage interest. It's a win-win. So if you haven't already done that, go and have a look and see if your bank allows you to do that. If it doesn't, consider moving, I would say, because it's a real bonus at the end of the year. Um, it's def definitely worth doing. So um, one of the obvious things that you can do uh, that would help you live more frugally is gardening for frugal food production. I spend a small fortune at the supermarket. It does my head in some weeks, how much I spend. <laughs> so anything you can do to reduce your costs at the supermarket is going to be perfect for you. Um, and the key to um, getting the best out of your garden is to planning. 
doing the planning to make sure you know what you're going to be growing. Now, if you use onion and garlic in every meal, which we just about do here, um, then grow onions and garlic. If you use shit tins of potatoes, chuck some potatoes in the ground. Believe me, they're really low, low hassle um, crop to grow and they can store really well if you've got somewhere to store them. Um, but anything that you would eat on a regular basis or that you know that you could preserve and keep you know down the track you should be growing it now when you do do your planning think about what you need to grow how much you need to grow when you can preserve it so there's no point in having a glut of tomatoes if your busy period at work is when the tomatoes would be ripe and needing canning or needing preserving or, or needing dehydrating or something like that if, if that's your busy season at work, then you probably need to, to weigh up whether you can delay your planting for a couple of weeks so that you have the time to preserve and you're not wasting food. Um, another thing is stopping pests getting into your gardens. Um, you can spend a fortune in gardening and then have pests come in uh, like I had with my, I had a beautiful blueberry bush that was um, fruiting up absolutely amazing it was the second year I'd had the bush and it didn't really fruit the first year because it was only a baby tree a baby bush and then the second year I was like yes I'm gonna get these awesome blueberries and a cockatoo came in and stripped the plant literally cut it off at the base uh, now that blueberry plant has grown back we looked after it it's come back but, you know, it's been three years now. I still haven't had a single, well, I've had one blueberry, I think, off it. And that's about it. So keeping pests away from your plants is going to help you with minimising your costs in the garden. Um, another way that you can minimise costs is to seed save. And I am a massive, component, a massive proponent of, of seed saving uh, and plant propagation. I am a brown thumb. And if I can seed save and propagate from cuttings then so can you <laughs> if, if I can learn to do it you absolutely can learn to do it um, seed saving means that you just don't have to keep buying seeds each year which you know it might seem like a very little cost but why would you pay for it if you can get it for free that's the way I look at it so I keep what looks if I find a really good um, fruit off one of my plants like my tomato plants and I get a fruit and I think wow that's a really healthy good looking tomato I will keep that plant and bring it into the kitchen and scoop all the seeds out and put them on a paper towel. Now, it depends on the seed, depends on the plant, but most of them only require to be kind of washed off of, of any goop that's on them and dried out, not in direct sunlight, but dried out somewhere where it's hot and dry um, so that the seed basically dries up. Um, what you want is a preserved seed so that when you go to plant it the next year, it's a matter of putting it into a nice, I'm going to say the word everybody hates, moist, a nice moist environment and getting that plant, to, that seed to spark back up again and grow for you. Uh, propagation, I'm still learning how to do that perfectly, but I don't think I'll ever be perfect at it. But um, taking snippings of thing and and using different techniques to get the, the roots growing from it whether it's sitting it in water um, which a lot of a lot of house plants and things like that you can definitely do that with um, other things you want to be able to put them straight into soil and get them to root straight into the soil which is awesome you can also get these little plastic things 
uh, I don't even know what they're called, but they sit over uh, a part of like a fruit tree or something like that, like a bigger tree where you can cut a bit of branch and wrap this ball around it. And it will basically the roots will form in the ball away from sunlight, direct sunlight. And then you just cut it off and plant that root cutting basically straight into the ground. Anyway, I'm no expert with gardening. I'm much better with livestock, but these are things that I do to help save. Um, composting is another way that you can save a lot of money. Um, topsoil and seedling soil, I think um, most people call it, uh, that you use to start your plants in, in little seed batches. Um, it's, it can add up. It can be really expensive. Sometimes it's not, but some of the quality, like the quality that you get for the cheaper ones is pretty crap. So having your own composted topsoil, your, your own compost mix that you can use to start your seedlings uh, is just another way of saving some, some costs. Uh, and being able to also incorporate your compost into your soil means that you won't have to bring outside additives into your soil to get its health up to up to scratch to get really good produce out of it um, another way that I save a bit of money is I'm a huge lover of our local green shed now I don't know what it's called in different areas ours is called the green shed here it is basically the people who go and take things that have been thrown at the dump at the tip out and they repair them and resell them so somebody might have thrown out a rake head that is just the metal part of the rake head and the, the actual um, stick of the rake might, be, it might have been broken. So they've thrown the whole lot out. Well, the people at the green shed, and a lot of them are volunteers, will go in and they'll find the rake head and they'll get it and they'll go and get another rake handle from somewhere and put the rake handle in. So then they sell it as a secondhand rake. And I go and buy it because I love buying secondhand things, especially when they're still really good and able to be used. So gardening tools and hand tools for the garden. Try try the local green shed in your area, whatever it's called, and see if they have secondhand stuff that you can purchase to use. It will greatly reduce your, ex your expenses. Um, there are some things that you will want to buy new. And like I talk about with, you know, being frugal is not being cheap. So the Handy Helper and I just recently purchased a brand new axe. Now that axe cost a lot of money. I think it was nearly $200 for the axe from Bunnings, which is our local hardware store. But the reason that we bought new was because this particular brand comes with a lifetime warranty for the handle. And we're a bit over breaking handles on axes. I'm not going to say I'm a bad aim, but it might have something to do with that. I don't think it's a handy helper. I think he's a pretty good aim when it comes to hitting timber to cut. Um, but this one comes with a lifetime warranty. So in 10 years time, if something goes wrong with this axe, we can go back into Bunnings and we don't have any fear about Bunnings getting closed down anytime soon. And we can just replace it for a new axe, which to me makes it worth the money. So you have to weigh up whether it's worth buying the new thing, particularly if you have a lifetime warranty from a very reputable store, then it may be worth buying new. Um, or you might have a particular type of tool that you really, really must have, in which case you may have to go and buy new. But weigh it up and see what's going to work for you. Now, the next thing I want to talk about was raising livestock on a budget. And, you know, I can, I think there's a sticker that we used to have as kids when I had horses all the time. <clears throat> and it said, it was a sticker on the back of a horse float. And it said, poverty is owning a horse. Uh, I don't know who made that sticker, but they were absolutely spot on. <laughs> 
Uh, horse feed is probably one of the most expensive feeds that you can get into. Um, but I think all livestock feed can really blow the budget completely. So there's a couple of ways that you can be very, very cost effective with animal husbandry. And one of those is managing your feed costs. So we still hand feed our goats. We have milking goats and they still get hand fed. We have layer pellets for our chickens, which we have to purchase because they're laying eggs all the time. They need the nutrients for that. However, our Angora goats can live quite well on rotating pasture. So what I mean by that is we swap them out to a different pasture and rotate them through and rest the pasture while they're off it. Our cows are the same, our horses are the same. We're very lucky, our horses are very, very self-sufficient um, because we have reasonably good pastures here. And if you look after your pastures, then certainly there will be um, animals that you will definitely be able to rotate through pastures and not have to hand feed. Now, obviously things change. If you're in the middle of a drought, you're gonna have to hand feed no matter what. And if that if that's the case, you need to go to your local feed store and try and work out whether or not they can do something for you, a deal for you. But for the most part, if you can paddock rotate, then I would suggest you do that where possible. Now, the other way that you can absolutely reduce some of your costs is medical or uh, maintenance costs for animals. So, for example, I, I couldn't, I'm not a farrier. I would probably struggle to trim my horse's feet. So that is something that I have to outsource to get somebody to come in and do my horse's feet from time to time. Same with their teeth. I'm not, I couldn't do the dental um, filing on their teeth. That's something that there's specialist equipment for and I don't have the skill set for that. However, my goat's hooves need trimming probably, the dairy goats are probably worse. So they probably need trimming about every four to five months. And that is something that I am more than capable of doing myself. Um, and I don't need to pay somebody to come in and do that. I can cl easily clean up and tidy those. Um, trimming, uh, doing the, the hair off their udder is I have a set of clippers that I use to, to trim their udder hair down prior to kidding uh, dates so that um, I can keep their udder nice and clean when it comes to milking time. Um, treating them for parasites internally and externally so worming and drenching that's something that I can do myself I don't need to get a vet out here for it even giving injections I once you have a good rapport with your local vet I will go in and get um, injections from the vet that I need to give my animals and while I still have the cost of purchasing the injection I don't have the cost of getting the vet out here to give the injection because I'm more than capable of giving an animal injection myself um, now that might be something you're a bit nervous about I would say if you have livestock and you want to learn to do it ask around there's going to be another farmer or homesteader nearby and I mean it might even come to a point where next time I have to give the injections I might make a video uh, that I can put on to my socials so that you can have a look and see you know how easy it is to give an injection to a goat or to a cow it's it's actually a lot easier than you think um but but there are jobs that you can't <laughs> you're gonna you can't uh do yourself you're gonna have to outsource for so one of the things that i tried to do myself we have angora goats who need to be shorn twice a year and so i thought i'll buy a set of shears and i'll do it myself <laughs> uh, bad move bad move CJ scrap that idea um, I did have a go at it 
um, with one of our tamer weathers and poor Elmo, <laughs> he got a bit of a nasty cut from me and it scared the bejesus out of me and I said no. After that, I he healed fine. He was he was fine. We looked after him. He healed up just nicely. Uh, but I pay for a shearer to come in twice a year and do the angora goats. He can come in and do them in a, probably about an eighth of the time that it would take me to do them. Uh, they look much better. There's less cuts on them. While he's shearing them, I'm worming them, checking their hooves, checking their horns, making sure that everything maintenance-wise is going okay everywhere else while he's shearing so it, it's a win-win but I do outsource that I pay somebody to do it because I'm not good at it now in relation to affordable feed so I did mention before that if you have a stock feed uh, a local feed store that you go to go to them and speak to them about buying bulk now if you do buy bulk you have to be aware of pest control um, at the moment here in winter in Australia we have huge problems at the moment with rats and mice so if you buy feed in bulk, you need to make sure you have somewhere to store it where the pests are not going to get into it. Rats and mice can pee and poop in the in the feed and that can cause health issues for the animals down the track. So it's really vital that you don't buy in bulk if you're just going to waste because that's not being frugal. That's not saving costs. That's fucking everything up. <laughs> so don't do that. I've done that before. I've bought too much and the mice have got in and you go, no, nah, I need to buy it. So at the moment I buy fortnightly. Um, and that's enough for us to, we've got enough containers to store it in without anything getting into it. But if you manage your pasture rotation, if you've got a system where you're managing your pasture rotation well, then you're not going to have to feed too much of store-bought feed. Um, like I say, I feed my milking goats because I need them for producing milk. So they need to have a little bit more nutrients than the goats that are out in the paddock that I'm not dealing with every day and trying to take something off every day. Um, so pasture rotation, what are, oh, parasites, we've already discussed your external and internal managing, having them pasture rotation. What I've noticed is in doing the pasture rotation, our internal parasite load went down massively. So we don't have to drench a worm anywhere near as often as we used to have to. But I also noticed our external parasites and the Angoras probably get hit with the lice a, a bit worse than the milking goats do, but, um, when we do the pasture rotation, because the animals are healthier, the lice just don't seem to get a, a good grip on them. They don't seem to affect them as much. Uh, but you, you, you can do that yourself too. You don't need a vet to come and do that for you. Um, so vet bills are the worst ones. Avoid those by keeping animals healthy. If you keep your animals healthy, your vet bills are going to come down a lot. That being said, Always prepare for the worst. You will have vet bills from time to time. We've certainly had them. And we joke that they're the minimum two grand vet bill. But, you know, hopefully this year, touch wood, we are going to be fine with all our kidding. And we won't have that problem. Now, uh, as far as um, what you are, what food you are getting from your farm, the best thing you can do is work out how you're going to preserve or store the food. Everybody loves fresh food, you know. It's great to be able to go out into the veggie garden and pick a fresh zucchini, a fresh capsicum, some tomatoes that come in and cook that up. No problems at all. But you will always end up with more in the on season than what you can use. And then you will have nothing in the off season. So you need to be able to work out how you can um, preserve your food so that when you actually need it, it's there. 
Now, my biggest expense before moving to the farm was absolutely groceries. I have no problem in saying that. We eat well. Um, we are all meat eaters and we eat a substantial amount of meat. For me at the moment, I'm living a mostly carnivore lifestyle. So I am eating a lot more meat than what I would normally be. But I'm also eating a lot of cheese and cream and things like that. Now, we have a milking cow that we're raising, Millie. So eventually that cost will be overtaken by her um, having a calf and me being able to milk her and then I'll have milk and butter and and cream that I would normally be buying but um, we were definitely we still spend way too much at the supermarket as far as I'm concerned we do grow our, our own vegetables not a huge amount I'm still learning with far with with veggie gardening I'm no problem with that I'm a brown thumb so I'm still learning but we've raised our own chickens and butchered those for in the freezer so we still have probably about 10 chickens in the freezer at this stage and I've got about another 14 that we're going to do dispatch in the next couple of weeks so we always have a constant supply of chicken we have no problem with that um, but I think you need to take into account what you can grow and what you can preserve and unfortunately, food is just one of those things that you cannot go without. Um, you can go without alcohol. <laughs> Surprising, I know, and wash my mouth out for saying it. But you can go without things like that, but you can't go without food. And realistically, if you're living this kind of lifestyle, you're probably looking for the most nutritious and healthy food that you can feed your family. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a balance between you have to spend the money but you don't want to spend the money at the supermarket so try and spend it in ways that you can at home where you can grow your own so um what else do we need to talk about i'm a bit all over the place this morning sorry folks um so learning to can and um and freeze and dehydrate and root cellar if you can so we're in the process of trying to build a root cellar at the moment so that um, come summer I can store um, fresh produce in a root cellar like potatoes and onions and things like that to make them last longer but canning without a doubt will be your biggest win once you learn how to can it's amazing what you can do and you know what you don't have to wait until you've got a veggie garden going so something like I started fiddling around with canning when we were living at the small farm and um, I came across just for people that don't know in Australia over Christmas time we have a glut of cherries uh, particularly in the area in southern New South Wales where I live you will see cherry stalls on the side of the road everywhere with people selling cherries but cherries don't last <laughs> they have a very short shelf life um, so canning cherries is a great option now I don't grow my own cherries here I've got one cherry tree and I've got to be honest it looks pretty sad and I probably need to do something with it I think it might be in too boggy an area for it but I love eating cherries I love cherry pie I love putting cherries in cakes and in desserts and things like that so I hunted around and waited until everybody else had bought their their glut of cherries because over Christmas everybody eats them to the point where they're sick of cherries and never going to eat them again for another 12 months and then I went out and offered a roadside stall a reduced amount to buy several kilos of his cherries and I bought several kilos and I brought them home and I pipped them and I canned them and we are still eating those cherries from two years ago that I had canned and I think I spent about $30 on cherries because I bought what he had left and he was trying to get rid of it so if you're thinking about getting into canning what I would suggest to you is to go to the farmers markets on a Sunday afternoon 
and see what they've got that you know you'll eat. There's no point canning shit you're not going to eat. If there's a fruit or a vegetable there that you know your family will eat in great quantities, go and try it. Have a go at canning. Fiddle around. There's there's things all over the internet showing you how to do it. I bought a preserving book uh, by the company that make ball cans uh, because I have a lot of the ball cans. Um, go get produce super cheap that's just about to like they're, they're trying to get rid of it because they yeah they might only the farmers they might be at the farmers markets only Saturday and Sunday and they don't want to have to take their produce back home with them if they can sell it cheap on a Sunday afternoon they will go and buy a big bulk amount of it and sit down and can and see how you go with it you might find that canning is something you can do really easy in which case that's a win for you or you might get to the end of it and go I never want to can ever again if that's the case that's great at least you know what you can and can't do then so that's what I do have a go at it see how you go um <clears throat> the other thing that we do to to keep with that frugal living aspect of, of being on our farm here is that our DIY uh, projects the handy helper thank goodness is reasonably handy but for those that don't know, I actually did two years of a carpentry and joinery apprenticeship when I first left school. Uh, before I worked out that carpentry and joinery was not the place for a young girl to be working. Um, but I am reasonably handy with, you know, a set of tools I can put most things together. I'm certainly, I don't need to pay anybody to do my IKEA builds at home. Um, but things, other things that you can do that are DIY if you're not, you know, carpentry or timber inclined. Um, is things like making your own soap, laundry detergent, other household cleaning products. Um, Castile soap can be bought in large containers and it's the basis for most of my soap products that I use. Um, but I also, I make uh, cold pressed, cold pressed I think it is, um, uh, lye soap. So I use um, chemicals to make my soap here that we use our goat's milk for. Um and there's lots of recipes online. You can Google the shit out of that stuff or YouTube it and you will find a recipe. Uh, so I do a lot of that. That saves a lot of money. But also things like animal shelters. Um, we don't purchase in, we don't buy kit build shelters here. Um, even with fencing, we do it all ourselves. So what we will generally do is go and, go and cut down four and we, we have trees on the property. We'll go and cut down four posts from four trees, you know, cut down the heights that we need with, a you know, half a metre or a metre in the ground and um, put four posts in the ground. Then we cut four smaller logs, maybe from the top of those, tr those trees and build a frame around the top to put a roof on. And then we use corrugated iron to put a roof on it and maybe a back wall. So here in Australia, it would be the southwest side that we would be trying to get shelter from um, for uh, people living in the northern hemisphere. I'm going to guess it's the northern side you would be getting shelter from, but I don't know whether it'd be west or east. Um, but you know, the corrugated iron, we will collect corrugated iron anywhere we see it secondhand. So we just go and you know, pick up sheets of corrugated iron if somebody's throwing them out we'll grab them but also too uh, we do sometimes have to buy new in um, and we'll buy new in and then we just put a roof on it and maybe two walls and that gives the animals in that paddock a shelter 
that can be a fixed shelter in the yard so you don't have to move it which just makes it easier when you're doing your pasture rotations you just move your animals from one paddock to the next and there's a shelter automatically in the yard um, within that shelter you can also whack a a water tub on the side of it for collecting some water so that if worse comes to worse if you don't have a water source in that paddock you you can have water attached to the back of that shed um, for us here for the handy helper and I knowing that we can do things without outside help is a real it's a bit of a, a plus for us we get a bit high on it um, where we don't like the idea of having to ask for help we will we have some fantastic neighbors here and we do ask them from help for help from time to time particularly if it's something really heavy at the moment my shoulder is still semi-frozen so if it's something overhead that's quite heavy then the handy helper does sometimes need an extra set of hands that I can't offer um, I'm working on that I'm nearly I think my shoulder's nearly right uh, but the real drive for us in being able to do things ourselves is being able to pay off that mortgage quicker it's a real plus for us to get to the point where the mortgage is paid off and we don't have to worry about it so we don't live above our means we don't have credit cards we do everything that we can do ourselves and in doing that it means that we're putting more money into the mortgage each week it's a win-win so one of the other things that i do that you could use is uh, repurposing and upcycling or recycling items i mentioned before about the green shed um, i'll post a picture maybe later today i'll post a picture of um, our milking stand that we made for our goats it was per it was made from a coffee table that i purchased from our local green shed um, and the handy helper just put the he built a timber frame at the front that we can lock their head into with a little tray for their food um, but it, it's essentially just a coffee table that's all we used now uh, that cost us five dollars plus a little bit of timber maybe 20 bucks if you include your labor um, we certainly couldn't have bought a milking stand for 20 bucks. Uh, so it's a win in that sense. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, that frugal living lifestyle is a lot about reducing your waste. Um, I'm, I think I'm probably preaching to the converted here. If I say you're obviously heading down this lifestyle path, you obviously want to reduce your waste. So being able to recycle, upcycle, up-purpose, look at something and go, oh, I can't use it for that, but, oh, I could use it this way it's you just have to be a little bit inventive about it uh and when you get to that point it's a real win you you kind of walk around going oh look at that i made that i turned that into something else um sustainable energy and resource management oh my god this is our biggest i think bigger than our grocery bill at reducing our cost so we have a water tank we have a hundred and ten thousand liter water tank so we are completely off-grid when it comes to water power gas and waste um, we have solar power and we have water tanks and we have gas bottles and we deal with our own rubbish now dealing with our own rubbish is something that we're still getting better at we compost everything organic anything that can be burned like tim uh, fire uh, like paper products goes into our fireplace as a fire starter um, and so we only have a really minimal amount of plastics and wrapping and packaging that come into the house that we can't get rid of and we get a uh, we've got a local tip that we have to pay to dump at but if you're only taking in a couple of bags um, it's pretty minimal cost to go and dump that rubbish and and we keep it down to a bare minimum because we, we we're paying per dump so we try and compost everything that we can 
uh, our power considerations. We do not run anything that's super draining overnight. Um, when you're living on solar, you have to learn to adjust your power use. So we try and charge up things that we can during the day. Uh, dishwasher went by the wayside. That's gone because um, I like to have the kitchen clean of a night and we don't run, we didn't want to run the dishwasher of a night time when we don't have power source coming in through the solar panels. So we scrapped it. And I've got to be honest, we haven't really noticed that much difference. The kids take turns. I mean, the handy helper take turns. Uh, the batteries don't get drained. It's awesome. Uh, same with washing, um, like setting up the washing machine. We put the washing machine on first thing in the morning if we're going to do it. We don't we don't leave it on even set to, to a delayed start overnight because it will drain the power. We've also looked at the point of um, turning a fridge off overnight because nobody's opening and shutting the doors overnight. So that's also an option for us. At this point, we haven't had to do it. Um, but... Uh, yeah that's power you have to be a little bit more considerate uh, gas we bring in gas bottles we have medium-sized gas bottles um, and we have an old-fashioned um, kettle that we put on the wood burner so we heat our house via a wood stove we don't use gas in summer we just open the windows we don't have air conditioning we don't run an air conditioning unit now, there are alternatives to normal utilities like biogas units. Um, there's a company called Home Biogas here in Australia, and they do gas units where you uh, drop in your human waste. <laughs> it's, I'm actually really keen and looking at this. So they have bio toilets and the bio toilet feeds directly into the biogas unit, which is a big, basically a big inflatable plastic tub. And from that, you can get about an hour of gas a day from your own shit. I'm not kidding you. I'm shitting you not. From your own shit, you can produce your own gas for cooking. It's awesome. Uh, they cost, I'll put a link in there, but they cost like 14, 1500 bucks. And you need to research your own situation to see whether or not it works for you. I think the issue that we have here is that we have very cold winters and biogas units need to be kept not frozen <laughs> they need to be kept at a certain heat level over winter so it's something we'll look at but yeah off-grid is definitely a way of saving money um, I think at this stage we're still in front with what we're paying for gas bills electricity bills and water bills I think we're still in front but yeah I, I keep an eye on it I know my figures uh, frugal homestead cooking and meal planning oh my god this is one that is gonna I'm gonna go over on time today I can tell so I cannot believe how much people spend out on takeaway. Every time we do it, I just sit back and go, what the fuck? Like, how is it that a meal costs that much uh, to buy out? But you're paying for the convenience of it being made by somebody else, the cleanup being done by somebody else, and you don't have to think about any of it. You don't have to buy the food or anything like that. But we save so much money when we meal prep at home. Now, because both my kids are sporty kids, of an afternoon we have a lot of sports things so we do try and do some meal prep on the weekends so that we don't find ourselves having to buy takeout through the week um, and I am fairly boring with how I do things so we basically have like a one to two week system that we use where I buy so if you're looking at it from a week perspective I will buy about two kilograms of beef mince per week now at the moment we are not harvesting our own beef but we are working towards that so obviously that will be a win down the down the track because we could have roasts and 
steaks and things like that instead of mince all the time but at the moment because we're in budget mode and we're trying to uh, live as frugally as we can to get things done around the farm we have cut right back so two kilograms of beef mince per week from that i make a base kind of meat dish so we have spaghetti bolognese chili beef beef patties for hamburgers and meatballs with tomato sauce now most of that can be prepped in advance we then also throw in one of our homegrown chickens a week. So we have a whole chicken and we either do it as a whole roast or we steam it and pull the meat off it and use that for a meat, uh, for a pasta or a rice dish. And then out of the last two nights of that week, we will generally either go something like a, a canned tuna based meal. So like a tuna morning, tuna pasta bake. Or if the finances are doing okay, I will buy some fresh salmon pieces because we love having fresh salmon with, you know, some stir fry or some rice or things like that. Now, at the moment, I've been having mostly carnivore, so I only eat the meat component and I do all the other meal planning for everybody else in the house that's got pasta and rice and carbs in it that I'm not eating. But every now and then too, particularly if we're a bit broke or we have a massive glut of eggs that we haven't sold, uh, we will do breakfast for dinner. So bacon and eggs um, with maybe some mushrooms or tomatoes or avocado. Um, sometimes I'll do a quiche um, with some ham and some veggies chucked in. Um, but my kids love to eat breakfast for dinner. Um, they, they're huge fans of it. And, it. and it's funny because my daughter doesn't actually eat breakfast most days and I don't force her to eat breakfast. I know that that's controversial and some people go, oh, it's the most important meal of the day. No, no, no. It's the most important meal of the day because breakfast cereal companies had to sell breakfast cereal and so they told you it was the most important meal of the day. I don't make her eat. If she doesn't want to eat, I don't make her eat. She eats when she's hungry and certainly her weight is not an issue. She doesn't have an eating disorder. There's nothing to worry about in that respect. My son has to have breakfast. He's, he's a big one on brekkie and that's fine. So he will normally have a couple of boiled eggs for breakfast or ham cheese uh, sandwiches, which I've started making my own sourdough bread. So I hope that's a little bit better for them. I think sourdough is a little bit better for them. Certainly it's not upsetting your stomach, so it's a win. Um, but if your family is the kind of family that really must have that variety and that just sounds like way too boring and way too plain and, you know, oh my God, we're having spaghetti bolognese again on a Tuesday – what I would say to you is sit down, write out a meal plan, make it fortnightly or monthly and have a different meal for each night of the week, but have it as a rotating thing. If you know what you've got to buy each month, you can cut down your costs and you can also then plan better for your garden so you know what you need to grow. Because if you know that you're using five onions every week, well, you know how many onions you need to grow to get you through the whole year. So that's what you want to be aiming for. Um, and certainly, believe me, a month of meal planning, no kid is going to remember that they have spaghetti bolognese every third Tuesday of the month. They're, if they like spaghetti bolognese, they're still going to eat it. You could probably feed it to them twice a month and they would still eat it. So keep that in mind. But definitely meal planning is a way for me to cut a lot of costs. Um, so another part of frugal living is bartering or trading with other homesteaders. Certainly if you have a glut of produce, like we, through those summer months, we have so much milk and we turn it into cheese and, um, you know, I make my soap as well. But if I have a glut of products, I will look around at local uh, farmers near me and say, what have they got and can I trade them? 
Now, you can do that on, I know there's a lot of communities on Facebook where you can go in and see if people want to trade produce with you. So if you've got eggs and they've got tomatoes and you want to swap, then you can do a swapsies there. And, and that means that you don't have to go out and buy it somewhere else. Um, also, obviously, having excess product that you can sell is going to help you be frugal because you're bringing money in through those income streams. And I have discussed it in other episodes about how you can increase your income to farm by diversifying your income streams and having income coming in at different times of the year. So like craft products that would still be very active over the winter months, whereas you might only have your vegetables going through the summer months at the farmer's markets. So having that um, multiple income streams means that you've always got money coming in and that's going to help you stay frugal as well. Now, one thing that I do want to mention is you need to balance frugality with enjoyment and personal well-being. And you know, when I go back to the money boot camp that Denise Duffield-Thomas does, it's really important that you don't live so frugally and live so tight that you're actually doing your own head in. If you are the kind of person that absolutely has to get your hair done once a month and you you cannot live without going to the hairdresser once a month, well, you know what? You just need to build that in. And it may be a case that you have to say, all right, well, I'm going to make soap and I'm not going to book my hairdresser's appointment until I've sold you know, 50 bars of soap. And then I'll book my hairdresser's appointment because I'll use the money from my soap to pay for my hairdressing appointment. There is no point in you getting to the point where you're like, oh my God, I can't have, I can't go to the hairdresser and it's, I hate myself, I hate my hair. If you're getting to that point, then you've taken it too far. You need to find a way to balance it out. Uh, same goes with hobbies. You know, hobbies are expensive. If you're a book reader, and both my kids are book readers, it kills me how much books cost. And I love books. I love the texture of books and, and having the books in the house. But we also all have Kindles. I ended up buying Kindles. We're part of our Amazon membership gives us Kindle Unlimited access. So we can borrow books and then send them back once the kids have read them. And they sit down and read them off their Kindles. Both of them say they would much rather read a book. But they also know that this is a much better system where they can get more access to more books by reading it via their Kindle. Um, the other alternative is you, if you don't want a Kindle or you don't have Amazon membership or you don't like the idea of using a Kindle is joining your local library or even looking for a community library. There's so many popping up now where there'll be community libraries on a corner and it's a case of drop a book off, take a book with you, make sure you drop a book back when you when you finish that book and you want to bring it back, drop it back, you know, and, and borrow a different book out of there. That's a great way for people to get their book fixes without having to spend $30 every time they go to the bookstore, uh, which, you know, don't get me wrong, authors out there, I love you immensely. I love keep writing, but I can't afford to buy a new book every week for the kids and they go through them that quick. Uh, sports is another example where we uh, get blown out on our budget. Um, you know, my son plays tennis, my daughter plays rugby league and union. It costs, but... It, they only have the one hobby so I let them do that we do go swimming so we do pay to use the local swimming pool because our dam um, we used to swim in it until the kids worked out there were leeches in there and now the kids freak out and don't want to swim in there so we pay to go into the local swimming area but eventually I'll get a pool I want to get a natural pool built out here and that'll reduce that cost as well um, things like knitting is something that you can absolutely do as a hobby um, sewing I want to do patchwork quilting at the moment, I have an okay sewing machine. It's not fantastic, but um, it's not 
in it for me at the moment to upgrade that sewing machine. But there's lots of hobbies that you can find to do that um, you, know, you can do on your farm with a minimal cost. If you like drawing or art, go out and sketch what you see out in the paddock. Believe me, you probably make more art than you can ever keep in your house and you might be able to sell some and that'll pay for your art supplies. So there's a win there everywhere. Same with the knitting. If you love knitting or crocheting, make things sell them at the local markets and that'll pay for more supplies for you to keep doing the things that you love doing um there's always a way around it the only the only thing that i ever have issues with is the handy helper loves his motorbike riding he's got a, a dirt bike but we don't get any anything back out of that and <laughs> it costs a lot of money to maintain a bike and pay for fuel um so that's it i made it through i'm still under an hour at this point i can't believe because I, there was so much to cover in this episode i'm i love frugal living and i would love to hear what your hot tips are so if you have um, money saving tips or you have recipes that you use or um, things that you do to reduce your costs um, hit me up post something on facebook or instagram under mojo homestead or not the farmer's wife and let me know what your practical tips are because i absolutely love finding new ways that i can either uh, save money so not having spent it outside of the farm or ways that I can bring money into the farm and either works for frugal living because at the end of the day you just want to reduce the costs going out so if you're bringing money in that's an extra dollar that you can spend somewhere else but if you're saving money oh my god that's a dollar that you haven't had to spend out of your hard-earned money it's yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. But I would love to hear because I think when people band together and give each other ideas, then, um, you know, there's so many times, like I posted the other day something about renting a block of land. If you don't have land and you want to um, farm in a bigger way, why not look around and see if you can rent 10 acres off somebody? Uh, they may not be using it. They might have a fenced-off area that they, they're not using for anything else and you could rent it and 10 acres you could have goats on there you could have sheep on there you could have chickens you could have a veggie garden and you know you don't have to live there to do it you can just rent it and go out each day and and manage the livestock and and the gardens that are on there and somebody came back to me and said oh my god i have never ever thought of doing that so when people share these ideas and discuss them you always come away with something that you you walk away going holy shit never thought of that thank you so much i'm going to go and try and put that into practice and that's what i want people to do is put into practice things that they can do to make that frugal living work for them so remember it's not cheap it's frugal and that's just being economical economical i can't even say it economical about how you spend money and what you spend it on anyway that's it that's rant over for me on my frugal talk uh i would love to hear from you so hit me up and otherwise i will talk to you all next week thank you so much for listening thanks so much for listening today i hope you've enjoyed our time together if you did i'd be so grateful if you left me a review I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya. See ya.